All right, we want to continue our study tonight in declaring the truth. Uh, I'm not sorry, that was the prior one. Sharing the good news of the gospel to a self-absorbed world. And we introduced this last week, talking about our three aspects we're going to cover. There's probably more that I could engage in. But in terms of sharing the gospel, we're talking really about the provision, and we're going to use the word love to describe the provision for God to so love the world. We're going to talk about John 3.16, and that moved him to um, provide for our salvation, that there is an answer to the problem of their sin. And that's really what we're discussing under the topic of love. The hope is the offer of uh, not only forgiveness uh, and the application of that provision, but also all the promises of God that are entailed in that. And, and we're going to talk about surrender is the reception of that gift. So that's why I use those three words. Uh, we're going to really be talking in our last category after these three words to deal with um, how we move them to decision uh, in a wishy-washy world that's uncommitted to anything. And so that's going to be our last set in this study. And so these three, we're, we're really talking about the love of God and because that is the provision, is a, an expression of his love. He didn't have to provide for our salvation. He chose to. Why did he choose to do that? And John 3.16 tells us that, right? Because he loved the world. And again, we talked last week about the perversion the world makes of this word love. And so it's difficult to use that because it's been abused. And that happens so often in our language. Um, it seems the way of the world, the way of Satan, to take terminology that is precious to the saints and twist it and make it um, something they will laugh at, that they will uh, chide over and even uh, bristle at. And so turns of phrases that we find in Scripture like be born again and... and that now that's what Hollywood makes fun of. And in so many contexts that most people just can't, don't even uh, connect to it anymore. And uh, certainly the whole God is love format that we promoted in churches and then took on by what we talked about last week with the, with the community in the 60s and 70s, that now has been perverted to this weird definition of love. So the question today, since we looked last week at how the world perverts this concept of love, how do we get it back to a biblical concept of what it means that God so loved the world? Because the world doesn't associate love with the activity of God. And in fact, just think of how badly we use the word love. Even in our normal conversation, oh, I love Mexican food. What does that mean? Why do we use that term? Any ideas? We are diminishing the value of the word, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. Now, instead of just saying, I really like it, or I enjoy it, or I, we have to use the word love. Oh, I love this, I love that, I love this, I love that. And we get to the point that we are desensitized to the whole concept of what real love is. And then we have the, the romantic side of it, where we focus on love really in a sensual way. And it is really an, um, <clears throat> easy to do this in the English language, to just tear apart one word and then make it almost useless for its real important purposes. Because we have so few words. In Greek, we had multiple words for love, and they were properly used in their places. And so you would have a romantic word for love, and you would use it in that setting, and it preserved the other words for love for more substantial settings. You say something more substantial than romance? Yes. 
And we have now taken a single word, we have boiled it down to this word, and now we use it for everything. So I love blue, I love this, I love, and I love, 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 love. And we get to the point that it, we now have very little to draw from left over to say God so loved the world. We're talking about a love that moves someone to sacrificial action. And we are having difficulty defining that. Because the world is disconnected from that use of the word love because we have trivialized the word to such a degree in our, in our vocabulary, in our language use, that it, it just bounces off us now. And so we want to communicate that God has this sacrificial commitment to unconditionally to us. And we have to use those kinds of words because most people's love that they offer to other people is always conditional. I love you if, right? You see it, you know, well, I don't love you because you didn't meet my needs, because I'm not attracted to you, therefore I don't love you anymore, let's get divorced. We, we fell out of love, because you fall into love and you fall out of love, right? I mean, that's the way our language uses this word and the concept surrounding it. And then we wonder why we come to someone and say, God loves you, and it's like, big deal. Today, what about tomorrow? Or have no concept of what that means in terms of that God did something for you at a tremendous expense to himself. Because we've trivialized the concept of love. And so uh, we want to do two things. We're going to look at a little bit more of where they're at in terms of their understanding of love. And if we have time, we're going to look into more of a biblical way. And how do we communicate biblical love and we're going to talk about in our actions, in our, in our vernacular, our words that they're familiar with. We can't just use a bunch of series of words that are more substantial, but they don't understand them. Uh, and also in uh, the biblical modeling of what real love is in, in terms of uh, how it's defined in Scripture. And so the Bible says the end times men will be lovers of themselves. And lovers of money more than lovers of God. And so we know that their passions are directed toward themselves and they are really but committed to those things. They're committed to money rather than to God, even within the church. We're committed to ourself. We are self-serving. And we see that so much in the church today as well. How, what, how do I decide where I'm going to go to church? Not where can I serve, but where can I be served? Are you meeting my needs, felt and real? You know, oh, I just miss this, I miss that. And I go, well, that's not happening because this is, we can't provide that, that you're missing from your church experience here at this church. And, and so rather than say, how can I serve, how can I benefit the body of Christ, it's all about how's the body of Christ going to take care of me and my family, me and mine. And because we are lovers of ourselves. And we defend that, say, well, I have a responsibility to make sure da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And never on that list of da-da-da-da-da-da is that we become servants of Christ. Because I've listened. I've listened carefully. People using that, that reason why they don't come to church or why they don't come to this church versus another church they get other experiences at and never does that come into the conversation. Uh, it's the fact that men will be lovers of themselves is a description of the church. And so we are, we are in a sense, have been infiltrated with a self-serving love within the church as well. And this isn't anything new. Now, Paul's talking about that to Timothy, right? that this is the evidence of the end times, but it will grow worse and worse, and it will grow more pervasive throughout the whole church across the whole earth. So that's what we're expecting 
So how do we respond? We respond not by just surrender. Okay, it's over with. You know, we can't talk about that. And everyone's going to serve themselves. What can you do? Uh, we just got to sit on our hands and, and no, we are the ministers of God's love, his real love, and we are called upon to, to encounter the world with that kind of love. So let's talk about the love of God. Sacrificial. We know that from John 3.16, right? So loved the world that he gave his one and only, only begotten son. Not to come and lead in the sense of uh, taking over the world's economy and political and gaining power, but came to die to become sin for us, he who knew no sin. And so this is the love we're trying to communicate to people, is that God loved you not because you were lovable, not because he had no choice but to love you, because love fundamentally is a choice. God chose to commit himself to your well-being. Whether you accept him or reject him, whether you want to blow him off, you want to curse his name, he has committed himself to deliver you from your sin and the payment of sin, which is death. Not when you were his friend, not because he liked you, not because you were good enough. He, and that's why I use Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this, I think, is a, that's why I love this verse so much in my, any presentation of the gospel. I'm going to get to that verse pretty quick. Um, it demonstrates what God's love is. And so the question is, what would you die for? What would you die for? And I've asked people this. I said, well, what kind of things are you willing to die for? You know, and even that is being trivialized in our language. Oh, I would die for a pizza right now. Really? Well, no, not literally. Okay? Um, but we say, oh, that's to die for. Um, no, it's not. Let's not trivialize the concept. What are you willing to give your life for? And explore that with somebody in terms of that. I, I remember at the beginning of the whole COVID thing, um, I had a, a meeting with my life insurance agent, I guess. And she's like, oh, this, 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 and I can't do this, this, this. And I was like, I'd just come back from the trip, you know, in India, the Philippines. And I'm talking to her, and I'm like, um, why? Why would you surrender everything? I said, is there nothing you're willing to die for? And she just went, I said, what are you willing to die for? Is there nothing you're willing to die for? You don't think, think there's things that are more valuable than living? And she says, I have never been confronted with that question in my life. Think about that. This is not a 20-year-old. This is someone older than me who should know better and should be able to be thinking about that, what am I willing to die for? Okay, the Bible declares that. All right, maybe for a close friend, you might be willing to die for, right? But what about your enemy? What about the stranger? What about for principle? Are you willing to die for it? And this is a very powerful question to start getting people to investigate what the love of God is really about. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not for those that were holy, but for those that were sinners. Not for those that loved him, for those that hated him. Not for those that were self-righteous, but for those that were... <laughs> 
certainly sinners and knew it. Which is all men, because we already did Romans 3.23, right? For all of sin. So what are you willing to die for? And we put the question out there. And again, in connection with lots of other conversations, at some point in your conversation with someone, introducing the concept of the love of God that John 3.16 and Romans 5.8 talk about, needs to ask the question, what are you willing to die for to begin to understand what we mean by God so loved us? What would you be willing to die for? Die for your wallet? Someone holds a gun to you, give me your wallet? No, boom. You willing to die for that? You willing to die for your country? We think that's the height of patriotism, right? And, and oh, they're willing to die for that. Are you willing to die for freedom? That's a concept, not really a thing, although country is sort of a concept too, not a thing. What are you willing to die for? And I don't mean if it happens, I'd rather die for something like that. We're not talking about happenstance death. We're talking about walking into a field full of guns and knowing that you're on the front line and will probably not survive, and you're going to do that. Why? What moves you to do that? What are you willing to die for? You see, what most people are going to think about is what am I willing to fight for? Okay? Because we don't want to think about death. But when we turn that around and say, what are you willing to die for? Uh, perhaps some parents say, well, I would probably die for my children. Okay. So your children commit murder and you want to go to the electric chair for them. Well, no. See, we're not talking about the little angels you think your children are. We're talking about the little demons they really are. When they have done evil, are you willing to accept their punishment on their behalf? Oh. Paul expressed his love for Israel. How do you say that? In Romans, he says, I would give up my eternal condition of salvation if it meant that all Israel would be saved. He loved Israel that much. He said, I would give up my salvation if it meant all of them, but it wouldn't. You see, Paul had a whole list of things he was willing to die for, chiefly Christ and the salvation message itself, and he proved that over and over again. Though you slay me, Job says, yet I'll serve him. And so Paul goes in, he says, I'm going to I'm going to serve you the gospel. You can throw rocks at me and stone me. You can beat me. You can whip me. You can imprison me. Uh, and, and you can kill me. I'm still going to keep preaching the gospel. That's something I'll die for. You realize the reason you have a Bible on your lap right now is because men were willing to die to translate it and to print it. Because for many centuries, we call those the Dark Ages, no one was allowed to have a Bible. And men died to put the Bible into people's hands. Would you die for your scriptures? I'm not talking about getting fined by the government. I'm not talking about the church's utilities being turned off like they were in some churches in California. I'm not talking about prison time like some of the pastors in Canada and in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, I'm talking about death. Would you die for the liberty to, to worship God? Because many of your forefathers in faith did. Well, what we are trying to do, so I, that's me challenging you. What do you love? Now we've raised the definition of love is what you really love is what you're willing to sacrifice for. The ultimate sacrifice is our very life. Not with potential. I'm not talking about potential sacrifice. Okay? I'm not talking about what are you willing to take risks for. Okay? People jump out of airplanes because they enjoy the rush, 
Some people jump out of airplanes for a living, uh, things like that, and there's risks involved. You say, well, that's kind of a risky job. Well, people build bridges, and that's a really risky job. You know how many people died building the Golden Gate Bridge? Anybody know? I don't know. I'm just throwing that out at you. A lot. So I'm not talking about taking risks. I'm about to, knowing that push comes to shove, I would rather give my life than surrender this. I would give my life rather than let this happen. I would give my life. Willingly give my life. Not just have someone take it, but willingly give. What would you die for? Not the threat of it, but in the actuality. Because that's what God did. He chose to die. He didn't just chose to send his son and see what you guys would do with him. He knew what was going to happen. And so we're confronting people with the concept of love by asking this simple question built out of Romans 5, 8 and John 3, 16. What are you willing to die for? Because God was willing to die for you. That is a biblical definition of love. And now we've made it so much more substantial, haven't we? Or am I willing to die for myself? No, self-preservation. It's all about save me, let everyone else die. And I'm willing, like I said, most people, I'm willing to fight. I'm willing to kill, but are you willing to die? A Muslim is willing to kill for his faith. And you might say, well, he blows himself up in the process because they have been granted what? What's the, what's the apple that they put out in front of them to get them to do that? Do you know? What is paradise? If you, if you die in jihad, if you die um, in a war against the infidels, what is, and you do it purposefully, that's suicidal, what is your reward? What is paradise? Yeah, you got, you got everything that you can't have on earth. You basically have paradise, and that is a place where God isn't. Allah isn't there, and so you get to enjoy all these women, all the wine, all the song, all that stuff. You get to have all of that. And that's the carrot they dangle out there for them. And essentially, the, the way to ensure that is not just dying yourself. You have to kill infidels as you do it. The more infidels you kill while doing it, the greater the hero you are. Um, it's sick. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about killing, but sacrificing on behalf of this in place of that. And this list gets very, very short for some people. And and for the self-absorbed people, it's... (laughs) I never thought about that. I've never been confronted with that question. I've never considered that. What would I die for? Because that's really the things you love. Okay. And so that's what God's intervention is. His love is, I'm going to provide for your salvation while you're my enemy. You hate me. You curse me. You sin against me. You deserve death. You deserve judgment. That is just. That is what is fair. Um, and I choose to come and die for you. And that is sharing God's love and his provision for us together. Okay? And so that's what we're communicating. And I think this is one of the, the only way I can really get people to get out of these other categories of I love this, I love that, I love you, I love, uh, you know, um, is to get them to consider the act of God that made the provision for their salvation. This is how much God cares for you. And it just squashes the whole argument, well, if God is love, why does he let this happen or that happen? And um, I don't have to go down that rabbit trail with an unbeliever. I can simply look at them in the eye and say, well, Um, God is love enough that he would die for every single person who's done every evil on the planet, including you and all the evil you've done. What would you die for? 
And now we've just brought the whole, now that's a little in your face-ish, I know I'm being, and I engage people, I'm not anything like that, okay? I'm kind of like Paul, he writes one way and he speaks another way. I preach one way and I talk with people totally different, um, usually, unless they really get under me and annoy me. Then, so preaching is just really annoyed talking for me. No, it's not. So we have this opportunity to direct their attention to what real love is. Love isn't making everyone comfortable all the time. That's not really loving your children. Loving your children is disciplining them in terms of what genuine uh, parental love is. But if I come to this as, oh, the Father God loves you, and they've had a father abuse them or abandon them or not even ever there for them, and their concept of that father figure is negative, they're going to bring that in the relation, into the idea of God. And so what I tell them is, God is the father that you always wanted. <laughs> now what does that mean? Well, father that's going to buy everything for me, let me do whatever I want. Why? Because they are self-absorbed. They have just revealed that they don't understand what love is. Because really that's what they're asking is a loving God should make us comfortable all the time. And everything should be perfect for us. If he really loved us, he'd just make our lives happy, happy, happy. And we would have this euphoria all the time. and There would be no bad things, no wrong things ever happen. Never mind that that means that you also have no independence. You have no choice, will. You have none of that. And so self-absorbed people will ask those kinds of questions. That's how it comes out. I really only care about me. It makes it sound like they care about all the evil being done to all the poor children in the world that go hungry and die of hunger. But that's projected of what they really want is, why, do, why does God, if God loves me, why does he allow bad things happen to me? Well, you make really rotten choices. Why are you blaming God for your sin? God Love is demonstrated by him sending his son to die for evil people doing evil. And you are one of them. And so we want to really define love, redefine love for people because most of them haven't contemplated love in terms of what I would die for for real. Not just take risk for, not fight for. What would I stand up and say, I will die today, right now, um, to protect this freedom, this liberty. Not fight, but die. As most of you know, I'm, I'm a pacifist, and um, I am really anti-military, anti-war, all that stuff. Um, and Christianity is pacifistic in that sense, but there's no stronger statement than saying, I will die for that. And no, saying, I will fight for that is not stronger than I will die for that. It is the ultimate sacrifice. Love is an uncon unconditional, sacrificial commitment. And that's what we want to portray to people. And so to get them thinking in those terms, I use scripture about death. What will you die for? Because God demonstrates love towards us. He died for us. What have you died for? Well, you're still alive, so you haven't died for anything, have you? You can only claim you'll die for some things, but when push comes to shove, you know, and you're getting, you know, the bear's coming down on you, are you going to push your friend forward so you can run away, or are you going to... Try to outrun him, what's going to happen there? Or are you going to say, I'll let him eat me, you escape. We've had little opportunity in this present modern enlightened age to really see what it means to um, express th this kind of sacrificial commitment. We see a lot of... Um, copycats, a lot of fakers that seem to be sacrificial love, but ultimately many times are selfish. And in fact, the Muslim 
death one is a selfish one. Because I want this utopia, I want this paradise waiting for me, and, and so I'm going to do this act to ensure I get this paradise. Muslims have really weird ideas. But don't you go and let a woman kill you because then you can't go to paradise if a woman kills you in battle. Did you know that about Islam? You, you, you just don't. That's why women warriors are so effective in Afghanistan and places like that. Because Muslims are deathly afraid of dying at the hand of a woman. So it cuts both ways, doesn't it? Once you start using eternity to control men. That's all we're talking about. My eternity has nothing to do with this. This is your eternity that I'm dying for. Because my eternity is sure. It's established. I'm not dying to gain something for myself in heaven, am I? The Christian isn't dying for that. Whether it's to preserve God's word, whether it's for the liberty of worship, whether it's for the communication of the gospel, the Christian isn't dying to gain something in heaven. He is dying for the benefit of those who have nothing in heaven yet. We share in the sacrifice of Christ, which is always benevolent and not selfish at all. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Is a passage you're very well familiar with. Hopefully all the verses I've been dealing with you're very much familiar with. Last or two weeks ago we talked about using your Bible to share Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, you know it as the love chapter. We always use that. The word in the old King James was charity uh, to demonstrate uh, one of the alternative words for love in Greek. Uh, so let's go ahead and look at it. It says that we, under, verse 2, though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now in a couple of weeks on Sunday morning, we're going to get to love. That's going to be the last one of those seven things we're going to be looking to add to our faith. And here Paul basically is, is saying the same thing. You have all this faith, okay, but do you have love? And he goes on to describe all these great things. Though I bestow all my goods to the feed of the poor. Well, that must be love. That's sacrificial. Pastor, just like you talked about, that's real love. No, people do that without love. And even self-absorbed people do that. Okay? Um, a lot of Buddhists do that. Most of your uh, old nuns and priests used to do that. Then they take a vow of poverty as part of their holy orders. Okay? They had lots of interesting motives for that. Though I give my body to be burned... Do people die for things? Yes. Hindus do that. Muslims do that. They give their bodies to death, sometimes horrible deaths. Uh, in the Hindu world, not so long ago, um, a man dies, his, his widow is supposed to throw herself on the fire and burn alive with his dead body. If she didn't do that, they threw her on there against her will. That was what it was like there. The British mandate tried to stop that. Um, didn't do very good. The one who had more effect on that was William Carey. Had the most powerful effect on stopping that as a missionary. So yes, you can do all the things. And he says in verse 3, And have not love, it profits me nothing. There's no benefit to that. So you could do all these things, but you do it for alternative reasons or motivations. It's no benefit. So we want to communicate this love. And so we look at verse 4. Love suffers long, is kind. Love does not envy, does, is not parade itself, is not puffed up. And this is the opposite of what we saw about the end times. Remember, lovers of themselves, boastful, proud. They know nothing but puff themselves up. And because of that, their self-love puts them in a condition where they really loathe everything else in life. And this is why selfish people are depressed people. Okay? 
because really self-love is a form of loathing, that is hating everything else around you because you're only interested in yourself. And even the things that bring you pleasure don't bring you pleasure long enough and so then you hate yourself over that and you hate the thing that didn't please you long enough. We end up being like Jonah over the plant. You know, uh, thank you for this plant shading me. Oh, it died. Ah! Now I'm going to complain against the plant and against the God that sent the plant. And so we find that it's not does not pray to itself, does not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So we have this description of biblical love that we are called to that is completely unselfish. It, and the more selfish our love, the more we loathe and hate everything and everyone else around us. And this is the condition of man without God's love. And we need to be the opposite of their condition. And so we need to model this love to them. You're not going to... Because I care about you enough to die for you to hear the gospel... Um, it's not that much for me to be kind, for me to be uh, non-envious, to not be about me, to not be rude, to not be in my own interest, to actually take losses on, be on your behalf because I care about you. Because I want something for you. And so um, we, we see this uh, kind of love that the Bible calls us to, and it's always serving others in a sacrificial manner. Not for my own, what I get out of it. And I hear people think, oh, you know, around the holidays we're going to go feed homeless people, and afterwards, oh, it makes me feel so much better. Well, is feeding homeless people a good thing? To serve a day at the soup kitchen, good for your family? Probably. Um, uh, but you've just exposed why you did it. You did it because it makes you feel better about yourself, about feeding yourself for 364 days of the year and no one else, right? So one day a year you're going to feed other people. And it doesn't really solve the problem. It just doesn't do it. Um, and we throw money at problems to ease our conscience, and governments are really good at that, right? Our city government is wonderful at throwing money at homeless people. How much money do we spend on one, on one community that has four housing for homeless people? Do you know? We have a community that we built for millions of dollars called the Tiny Home Village. Have you heard of it? Tiny Home Village. There are currently, it can hold up to 40 people right now. There are four people. At the maximum, they had six. There are four people living there. The county was just approached by the manager of the tiny home village. Guess how much money they need to run that for one year? $500,000. If you put Maria Gonzalez in charge of that, she could run that for like $45. No, I'm just... I mean, $500,000 a year. And right now you're taking care of four people. But we're expecting it to go up. But here's what they said at the end of the meeting. But when our population goes up, we're going to need more money than 500000 a year. Okay? So we throw money at that. Is that solving any problems? No, it's creating more. Don't feed the bears, Yellowstone Park. Okay? Rather, we should be addressing some other issues of going on. We don't want to deal with drug abuse. We don't want to use, do, deal with alcohol. We don't want to deal with all the things that destroy people's minds and bodies and all those other things that happen that bring them to that condition and state of homelessness. We don't want to address those. We're just going to ease our conscience by saying we're doing all this for the homeless. 
So yes, you can do loving things for the wrong reason. That's what this chapter is all about. You can do this, 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 and there's some spectacular things on that list, but you're not doing it out of loving others. You're not really serving them. You're not really trying to be considerate of them. You're really just appeasing and, and self-satisfying, and, and it's not beneficial. It's not going to turn out well, and it will ultimately be dissatisfying. And so it is this love of God that we want to communicate. It's sustainable. That is, it will endure. Real love simply endures because God's love endures. It's faithful because it's not seeking its own interests. What destroys marriages, what destroys relationships in homes and in churches is self-seekingness. And so we come to this and we say, well, um, why are people rude? We have a very rude society right now. Did you know that? People use language in the store that sailors used to be careful not to say among women. And now children and women are using it in the stores to gripe about the price being a little higher. Because we have grown selfish. We don't care if there's children present or people that are Offended by that. Just don't say anything about certain things, right? And so rude, all of these things are evidence of the end times, and it's an absence of love. Our response has to be, here's what love is. I will demonstrate it to you. I will first invite you to consider God's love by that question, because he's willing to die for you. What are you willing to die for? Okay, um, so that's now a definition of now I'm going to model love before you by living out this selfless life, not because of anything I will get out of it. I don't want any reciprocation. I don't even need a thank you, a pat on the back, or a hey-ho on your way out. Okay, and then we just keep serving and keep serving and keep serving. And I know there's some frustration there, and we're not going to be perfect in this. There's still going to be that, boy, they should have, they, they weren't very thankful for all that I did for them. Um, but you can't dwell on that because that's not why you did it. You didn't do it to be thanked. That's an indictment against them. But if we dwell on that, then we will be soured towards service, and we will not love people. We will ha loathe them because all they do is take, 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 and they don't even say thank you. You can't believe how many pastors leave their churches because of that. That one thing. Because it just gets you if, that, if you start dwelling on it, start thinking about it, start focusing on that. But you just say, and I've had to sit down with my wife and have long conversations as well. Yeah, we did a lot for them. And yes, they said a lot of nasty things about us, but um, we're not. We did them right. We gave them the truth. We gave them our resources, our help. We gave them access. We gave them, and I'm not going to stop giving that to people just because they were nasty recipients. <laughs> In fact, if anything, I should be motivated to say, well, um, I want to serve more, not less. Because I'm not doing it for gratitude. I'm not doing it for the pound. I'm not doing it for some selfish reason. And so we want to demonstrate love in a biblical fashion to people and model it in such a manner that their response is like, what is with you? And we have opportunity to say, well, this is what unselfish love is. And I only have it because God loved me first. Only reason I possess this is because God's loved me and he's forgiven me so much, I have a great debt that I can never repay to a God who loved me and died for me. And I want to view people the way God views people. God said he would die 
for you, and he did. Do we view people that way? And essentially, when we go out sharing the gospel, knowing that there's a death sentence for it, as so many have done in so many closed countries in the modern era, in places like Laos and North Korea and um, China and uh, even in Soviet Union, Russia, uh, and yes, Ukraine, uh, all have a history, and in Saudi Arabia, in places like that, we are modeling biblical love. Because we are modeling a sacrificial, not self-oriented commitment. I get nothing from it. I don't want to benefit from it. I can't benefit from it. And I'll tell people that. I'll say, I don't want to be paid. I don't like getting paid, don't rob me by paying me. Why? Because I'm not doing it for that and I don't even want that to be the testimony anywhere in the community. I want to show biblical love to people and that demands sacrifice that is has no interest other than their interest at heart. And this is what God did. He provided for my salvation out of that kind of love. And so we need to redefine that term, help people do that, model it before them, and then recognize it is out of that that God provided to deliver you from your sins. This, if it's done well, and we get those concepts down, we are setting them up to live a life that we talked about this morning that says, I have accepted Christ as my Savior. I am so grateful. I will never forget what God has done for me. Now, we use that term in our modern society too. We'll never forget. What will we never forget? We'll never forget 9-11 until we do forget 9-11. We'll never forget this. We'll never forget that. And I'm like, this is... I wonder how many times throughout the ages countries have said we'll never forget. And then we repeat the same thing. We'll never forget the Holocaust. Well, we have because there's anti-Semitism all over the place. And there's genocide all over the place. And we permit it and sanction it sometimes. And so, um, but in terms of the Christian life, we will never forget means God has done so much for me out of his love for me. Now I've set this person up by their understanding of love and God's provision and how much it cost him to deliver me. It is an offer, a gift to me. It is a gift of God, but it came at a great cost. And it's important that as we talk about what God loves you, that we understand that when you say that to people in this age, it is couched in self-absorbedness. They only think about what makes them materially or sensually or financially happy. We need a couch of saying that God died to provide for your salvation from your sin. He became sin for you. And let the weight of that kind of understanding of love impact them with the gospel. That is the good news. God did and does so love the world that he died to take away their sins and grant them eternal life. And that's what we're going to talk about next week is the hope that is very different than what we hear in the world today. Any questions, comments? Give the good news. God loves them, but realize... What you say by that, what they understand of that may be very different. Couch it properly in biblical concepts um, that uh, will impact their life, not only to bring them to salvation, but beyond that even. Okay, Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And I say that every prayer, and sometimes without thought, but not tonight. Lord, we thank you so much. Help us never to forget 
what deliverance from our sins meant for you. And Lord, our prayer is that we might model that and communicate that kind of love to those that we encounter even this week. The need to know the Lord. That we may look and disdain all the evil they have done, all the personality traits that we don't like about them, and none of that is relevant. They need the Lord. Help that to be foremost in our thinking as we encounter people. That we might truly love them more than we love ourselves. And Lord, where we are self-interests, our so high a concern in our thinking, in our living, in our talking, in our planning. Lord, convict us of that. For if you had shared that, we would not be saved. But you thought about what we needed. So Lord, help us to model Christ in that manner to others, that we might be moved to share the gospel with them as a priority of every relationship we have. And again, as always, we pray that you might open up many opportunities for us to share Christ. And that we might minister your word effectively by the power of your Holy Spirit, even in this world where it seems that so many are disinterested or ignorant, don't even know they're not interested because they don't even know that there is the good news. And in others that have been so poisoned against your truth by the ways of this world and the evil one. And Lord, help us to have wisdom in encountering all of them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that it is their only hope for salvation. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.